church events. It's got pictures of everything going on that we've done in our church recently. It's got blogs that people write. It's got the sermons either on by audio or video. It's got your Bible on it. And particularly, it has the U version, so you can listen to any translation you want or any of your Bible plans. It's got a prayer wall that you can put prayer requests on or look at prayer requests and then um, pray over them. And then another really cool thing is, is I stopped writing checks. <laughs> and so now what I do is I just type in how much I want to give and which category and hit go and, and automatically takes care of tithes and offerings for me. And um, I mean, the first time you have to put your, your number in. But um, I just want to encourage you, this church app is a great way for us to connect. It's also something we can do instead of using Facebook, and eventually I'm hoping we can get away from Facebook. Talk about Babylon. But um, I encourage you, if you don't know how to find an app, um, where your app thing is on your phone, ask, ask one of our leaders. And we're all just starting to learn how to use this thing. And uh, it's really a, a fun, wonderful tool that I think is going to make life a lot simpler in the long run for us. So you can look under, under your app, look under uh, church app, and then type in, okay, there's a friend right there. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. So I encourage you guys to put that on your phone if you haven't done that yet. So I want to pray before I start and talk about uh, James chapter 3. I want to pray um, just briefly again for um, Afghanistan for the believers there. I know that many of us have been uh, just laboring and crying out to God, and we've seen uh, reports and heard things, and, and I just want to lift up our believing sisters and brothers that live there and don't have the option of leaving there. Okay, would you join me in prayer? So, gracious God, I just want to thank you that, just like the guy said on the video, Lord, it doesn't matter where we live you are the Lord of the people in charge. You, Jesus, are the Lord of the people in charge. So, Lord, we cry out to you that you would work in Afghanistan. God, we don't know how or what you do. You know what you're doing. And, Lord, we know you play the long game. And things don't often happen at the speed that we wish they would. Lord, we know that in your mercy already, so many have been able to leave or go into other countries. Lord, we also know that many in their strong faith and their testimony for you have laid down their physical lives and that many more will. And because of their courage and boldness, Lord, and their faithfulness to you, they will have an eternity that will be very, very special. Lord, we ask as American Christians that you would strengthen us to have courage to be able to name your name and put your, uh, to put your testimony on our lips like many of these Afghani Christians are. God, we cry out for your mercy on them, your protection as much as possible. We ask, Lord, that you would move among the Taliban and bring glory to yourself and your name. We pray, pray as they put together, a, put together a government that you would, you would handpick people, God, and that you would bring righteous people in the midst of that place. Lord, we ask that in the midst of the darkness, your light would shine. And we just continue to give our prayers to them. And Lord, help us to be willing, Lord, in our culture to take a stand like our brothers and sisters are that live there. We just give them, give Afghanistan, give the church there into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
This morning, I'm finally picking up my James series, and it's been a long time. We've had some amazing speakers that have come and ministered, and and I'm so thankful last week that um, when I was sick, we had um, uh, Terry able to bring such a wonderful word to us, and I appreciate her so much. Chaplain Terry is a big blessing as part of our church staff. So. She's now the um, secretary of the Ministerial Association in, in, in our community, too. So she's taken on more. She keeps herself very, very active. So this morning, I want to talk about conquering temptation. And I, th- I thought, gosh, as Mario shared his testimony, this really kind of fits well. Now, so James is all about the contrast or the difference between true faith and fake faith. The whole book, it's a short book, five chapters. And again, James was the stepbrother of Jesus. Did you know that? There's like four Jameses in the New Testament. And this James is not the one that was John's brother. You know, the two Jameses that were fishermen by the Sea of Galilee. That was a different James and it and uh, his brother John. They actually were cousins of Jesus. But this James was one of Jesus' stepbrothers. And then we are told in the, in the Scripture that Jesus had uh, two or three brothers and sisters. And <clears throat> he did not believe. It says none of his family believed in Jesus until the resurrection. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine? Of course, when you think about it, if your brother started going around telling people he was the Messiah, would you kind of just jump right on and believe that? Maybe after you saw some miracles, I don't know. But James didn't believe until the resurrection. And then we see the next thing we see is he was part of that group of 120 disciples, men and women, in the upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall after Jesus had commanded them to go and wait there. And so James had a radical experience realizing that Jesus, his stepbrother, was truly the Son of God. Now, that would have blown my sockets out. I don't know about you. (laughs) So anyway, James ends up becoming kind of the leader of the church in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. I don't know how that all happened, but... Pretty soon we start reading about James and the elders in Jerusalem. And, um, and then down the road there, about 10 or 15 years, James writes this letter after this persecution has come and, and believers have scattered from Jerusalem all over the, uh, that, the basic Roman Empire. James now is concerned about his flock that has been scattered in all these countries. And so he writes this book, this short letter, to all those people to let them know things that he feels like they really need to be aware of. And we've talked about some of that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And so really everything he's talking about is what does true faith look like? How is it lived out versus fake faith or what we often call religion? Religion without reality behind it. And so he talks about what a real Jesus follower looks like, talks like, acts like. Versus somebody who's what we call a poser or a hypocrite. When I was, my kids were teenagers, they called each other posers. I thought that was fun. Fakers. 
So we're, we're going to, James talks about what a faith walk looks like contrasted to a religious exterior focused life. You ever met somebody that they had an exterior holiness, but they didn't have an interior holiness? They were all about how they looked, the image, but not the heart. Jesus talks about that a lot, doesn't he? He talks about people that have, they're painted white on beautiful paint on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. They're like graves. So James talks a lot uh, and takes a lot of the things that Jesus taught and brings it out in his, his letter. So James starts the book out by calling himself a doulou. D-O-U-L-O-U is the Greek word. It means servant. Here's the guy who's the head of the church in Jerusalem, the biggest church in the world at that point because it's the first church. And he's calling himself, when he identifies himself to all these people that he's writing to, he doesn't say, James the bishop, James the pastor, James the apostle. He doesn't say that, even though those things could all be accurately applied to him. He calls himself, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. That's a big statement. That is not the way leaders describe themselves in the New Testament or today. And G James is echoing Jesus' teaching about leaders, the identity of a leader. Does anybody remember something that Jesus said to his disciples about if you want to be great in God's kingdom? Yeah, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to become the servant or slave of all. And so that's really who James sees himself. He doesn't see himself as some powerful spiritual figure. He sees himself, my opportunity, my job, my identity is to be able to strengthen and build up all those believers that Jesus has brought to himself. So today we're going to look at um, how Jesus deals with personal temptation. James talks about this. And uh, last, last time I really got to preach on this subject, we talked about how, how believers, how, how feel, real believers, not fake believers, but real believers deal with um, problems, life problems. We talked about trials and testing. So, but today we're going to talk about how we deal with personal temptation. I want to read the, just two verses from James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when they are tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Wow, there is so much in that, just those two sentences. So, I, I just want to share a few points now of what James brings out. But first of all, let me ask you, is temptation something that you experience in your life? What are some subjects, we'll put it generically, that in which you experience temptation? Just throw out some topics. Smoking, okay? 
Pardon? Food, yeah, definitely. Sex, yes, definitely. What else? Anger, okay. Pardon? Yep. We should get her up here to just show us what she means. <laughs> Thanks, Bianca. How about some, are there, do we get tempted to do about things that are good too? Like tempted to want to put money ahead of people and to be proud? Okay, good. I wanted to get your, you guys, your, your thoughts working in this area. So the first thing we see here is that real faith followers don't blame God when they experience temptation. And why don't they blame God? Yeah, It says very clearly, God cannot be tempted by evil and He doesn't tempt with evil. Okay? So, but how many of us have blamed God when something we felt like we just kind of were weak and gave in and God, why did you let that happen to me? Anybody? Am I the only one that got mad at God? God, you knew that I wasn't strong enough to handle that. Or we can blame somebody else. How many of you are old enough to remember Flip Wilson? Oh, there's a few hands. And his famous line was, the devil made me do it. Right? <laughs> I remember that. I think I was in junior high. And I remember, we laughed. My parents laughed. We thought that was so funny. And yet, how often do we, we blame the devil for the choices we make, the temptations we succumb to? Or we blame other people. You know, if she hadn't dressed like that, I wouldn't have been tempted. Or if he hadn't done this or that, I wouldn't have been tempted. And yet, it's, James tells us very clearly that real faith followers, not fake faith, but real faith followers of Jesus, they see the real culprit. They look inside. And we're going to look at, that's our second point. They don't blame anybody, they take responsibility. Each person, verse 14, is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, whoa, I've never seen that before, God. You mean I'm the problem? I'm the one that, the reason why I get tempted? And I began to understand something. This is our second point. Well, let me, first of all, I've got to mention... What is a temptation? A temptation is a, a message that is coming to you from whoever uh, that's outside of God, that, that it's a message that something outside of God's provision for you will meet a need that you have. In other words, it's, it's a message coming and saying, you need this if you really want to be happy. You need to look like this if you really want people to like you. It's, it's a message that is not coming from God, but coming from, could be coming from your flesh, could be from, coming from another person, the TV, the computer, advertising that is telling you, you need to choose this 
even though that's not what God wants for you or God has given to you. And it's, a temp it's tempting you to grab on and take that instead of what God is saying, this is what I have for you. Okay? Temptation can be to blatantly sin, like you need to smoke this or drink that or shoot this up if you really want to feel good. It can be a temptation to um, do something to, to uh, put somebody else out of the way. You know, that person's hurting you. You need to do this and get them back. Temptation to revenge. There's just millions of kinds of temptation. All right, so the second point is real faith people, or I'm calling them faithers, accept responsibility for appetites that we have indulged and fed that now want to exert control over our lives. So, did you catch that? We take responsibility that if we have fed something in us, an appetite, and we fed it and fed it and fed it over time, it's going to grow up and have power in our lives. Okay? Just a, a brief example is fear. Have you ever met somebody that every time they said something about something you were afraid of, they continued to talk about, I am so afraid of that. I am so worried it's going to happen. And they just would build it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that fear thing became so big in their horizon, that was all they could see. So let me give you another example. Um, oh, yeah, anxiety, which is related to fear, isn't it? So there's a, a really cool story I read about... Uh, about a man that went out into the woods, and this is like set way back in the, in the olden days in England somewhere, and out in the middle of the woods, he found an egg, a big egg, and he took it home, and he warmed it up, and it hatched, and it was a baby dragon. And he thought it was so adorable. And he began to pet that baby dragon and feed it and, and just nurture it and take care of it. And guess what? It started to grow. And it started to grow, and he just took care of it and fed it. Pretty soon he had to go out and, and steal sheep to feed the dragon because it got so big. And eventually, guess what happened? The dragon got to be too much for him to handle, and he got eaten by his own dragon. It's just a, an analogy, just a story, but it's saying that if we feed the wrong thing, if we nurture and give room in our lives for the wrong things, the things that are not true, that are not uh, things of God, then we give them power. And they will develop a life of their own and an appetite will increase that we will have a very difficult time overcoming. Now, as a young man, I found that was true with pornography. Many young men in here, they say that 40% of Christian believing young men struggle or look at pornography on the internet because once it gets its hooks into you it is very very difficult to get free of especially if you're trying to do it by yourself that's why they have so many support groups now to help people getting out of pornography and i had to get i had to get help to get out and i thank god for that because i was freed right before i got married so thank you jesus for that but um so the second point again was that we take responsibility for the temptations because they wouldn't be a temptation to us unless there was something inside us that could be enticed and lured. Those are the two words the Scripture uses. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. Now, something doesn't have... I mean, I'm not tempted at all by sushi. You could put 
plates of sushi all around me. It's like, I won't even look at it. I just don't care. Raw fish has never been my thing. Brooke, on the other hand, oh, loves sushi. So there is something in Brooke. There's a hook in Brooke for sushi. That's seafood. That makes sense, a hook. So, but for me, nah, no power. Sushi, you're powerless over me. But there's things in my life that have hooks. They've got power over me because they are things that I have given my emotions to, given my time to, given my attention to. And so a question I want to ask you is, can you admit to having any of those in your life, that things that have a hook in you? Maybe it's the way other people think about you. And that has become so important to you, your reputation. I've heard that there are kids that, that have horrible bad days because on the Internet people didn't like what they posted. Things like that. I mean, that's just foreign land for me, but I guess that's true. So it requires humility to admit that, yeah, there's some things that I have really invested, I've sown into that are now I'm reaping a harvest in because of my choices. First Timothy 6, 9, uh, Tim, Paul talks about an example of this. Those whose desire is to be rich whose desire is to be rich, wealthy. I can think of family members in particular of mine. Fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wow. <laughs> Those whose desire is to be rich. What's God's desire for us when it comes to riches? Actually, I think the next verse, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And guess what? When we are faithful with the things God gives us, we become rich on many levels. Many levels, relationally rich. Peace in our hearts, rich. Our family doesn't fight because we've put God first. That's rich. And you know what I find out is that riches, when it comes to money and things like that, when you don't make them the object, they tend to come if you've put the important things first. So maybe there's some of us that need to read Take a, real, take a look at that um, desire for you. Maybe money and wealth is, is, is needs to be moved down a little bit in your priorities. Third point, real faithers or people with true faith cultivate a long-term perspective about the consequences of our choices that changes the way we look at our freedoms. So real people of real faith think big picture. They don't just think about what's going to happen this week, this year. They think about what is coming down the road if I make these choices. What are my kids going to do? How are they going to treat me and relate to me as adults if I act this way to them? What if I just give in and give them everything they want? When they're 16, I give them a car. When they're 21, I give them a down payment on a house or whatever, whatever you can afford to do. You know, what, 
What's going to be the long-term ramifications? Real people of faith think eternity is coming. This life is really short, and it could be a lot shorter than I'm expecting. How can I make choices that prepare myself and my loved ones for eternity, for standing before God, for standing before the face of Jesus? And that changes the way you look at your freedoms. You know, I remember thinking in the old days that freedom meant I could do anything I wanted to do. And then I began to realize, no, really, freedom is to have the power to do the right thing and to make the best choices, not to do foolish things. So a real person of faith starts thinking long-term. They start thinking 15, 20, 30, 40 years out. What do I want to invest in? What do I want to sow? What do I want to reap? And one of the things that that, um, I started thinking about a number of years ago was I want to have a relationship with my grandchildren and I I want to be able to give away or be part of giving away my granddaughter when she's married. And guess what? When I made that decision... I just had a heart attack. And I, was, I didn't know whether I was going to live another couple years. And that was in 2012. And, um, and, and I began to go, God, help me. Help me start to think big picture, long term, instead of just, oh, man, a cheeseburger. I love cheeseburgers. I'm going to eat it. And I have a friend whose dad just had a heart attack, and they took him to the, to the hospital, and he got a st- two stints put in the back of his heart. And then she said they went to visit him at the hospital, and he was at the cafe, and guess what he was eating? A cheeseburger. And she said, Dad, you're eating a cheeseburger. And he goes, I'll eat all, I can eat all the cheeseburgers I want. And can he? Oh, he can. He can choose to. But will he be able to keep eating cheeseburgers very long? That's probably the better question. If he eats a few too many cheeseburgers, those, his arteries were already 95% blocked. They opened them up, but they say if you don't make changes, it's going to come back and get you, and the next time it'll be a widow maker. And they told me, if you want to live a long life, you're going to have to make changes using your liberty, make changes so that you can sustain, so your body will sustain your soul as long as you want to go. And it's been, uh, so I was 2012, Next year will be 10 years. And I'm in much better condition health-wise than I used to be. So what I'm saying is that part of a person that's a person of faith, they shift their thinking from thinking the short-term, meeting, gratifying my immediate needs, to thinking, what do I want to do in the long run? I want to live near my grandchildren. I want to be in their lives. I want to have a fruitful life. I want to make music. There's a lot of things I want to do. I want to be a person of influence that draws people to Jesus. That means more than having a big house or a fancy car or whatever. And I can live simply if that's what it takes. Okay, so number four, where is the devil in all this? Isn't he the one called the tempter? When you read that verse we read in James, is there any mention of the devil? Bye, you guys. Have a wonderful day. Is there any mention of the devil? No, not there. 
But the devil is involved in our lives, right? Does he tempt us? We know he tempted Jesus. Maybe we don't rate quite as high. <laughs> Let's look at uh, this, 1 Peter 5, 7 and 8. You can read this with me. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, who's our adversary? The devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Here's the counsel. Resist him. Can you say that? Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So what is our job when it comes to dealing with the devil? Two words. Resist him. Resist him. How do you resist the devil? Ephesians 6 talks about that, right? It says, the shield of faith to resist the fiery darts that come from the enemy. Those darts are lies. Okay? And so, do we have to be afraid of the devil? No, we don't. If, if somebody's, if the devil's coming and beating on your door, the scripture just says resist him, which means to simply say, no. I don't give you access to my life. I don't give you access to my thoughts. I resist you in Jesus' name. Isn't that wonderful to know that God has given you all the weapons and all the tools and all the armor you'll ever need to win and defeat the devil in your life? And so much of it has to do with what you let in between your ears. That's where 90% of the devil gets his stuff. He gets it by getting you to believe things that are not true, that are not from God. That's a whole other sermon. Okay, number five, last point. Even when temptation has a root in us because we've sowed to our flesh, there is hope for us. Because God will still help us. Even though we ate a whole bunch of that and now we're suffering this because of you know, indigestion spiritually or whatever, physically, God still helps us. And I love this verse. This is like one of the first verses I memorized as a young man, new believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I bet many of you have this memorized. Listen to this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, the stuff you deal with, everybody deals with, okay? All you guys, we all deal with similar temptations. Ladies, you all deal with similar temptations, okay? It's com not, everything's common to man, every temptation. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. Now notice there, you can't blame God, right? He says He's never going to let you be tempted beyond what you can endure. And I remember talking to somebody who said, if this happened to me, I wouldn't be able to keep living for God. I would just be too much. And I thought, come on, good grief. Should have listened to Mario's testimony. God says He's never going to give you more than you can handle, but you've got to make, take advantage of the way of escape. 
And the way of escape is usually through Him. God will always give us a way of escape, but we've got to be willing to go, okay, there's the door. God just showed me a door. I can get out now, or I can whine and complain about how God isn't helping me and stay in it. So, and look at this in verse Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So do you have any excuse? No, you have no excuses. Jesus, who has been there and suffered and been tempted, is right with you in the middle of your temptation and will help you find that way of escape and lead you out of it if you'll just let him and walk with him. All right, as we close, I just want to summarize a couple things. Fake faith blames God and or the devil or other people. It denies the power of sin. It denies that you've got a problem. It doesn't listen to the people around us that we're hurting. It only focuses on the short term, the cheeseburgers, and not the long term. I'm sorry about cheeseburgers, Pam. I know you make beautiful cheeseburgers. Pam does, makes great cheeseburgers. Zestos, but they're closed. So no cheeseburgers to worry about for nine months. They only focus on the short term, the cheeseburgers, but not the long term impact. And a fake person, fake believer, is bringing certain judgment on themselves. And I threw this verse from Proverbs 6 in. It's kind of heavy, but let me read it. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with a crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. You've seen that. With his perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Then look at what's going to happen. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. So remember, if you start to walk that way, that's what James said earlier. When sin gives birth, it leads to death. But a true faither, a true person of faith, will humbly admit when you need help, refuse to blame other people or God or the devil. They'll seek to be transformed in their desires and affections so they stop giving power to the thing that's trying to defeat them. Colossians 3 talks about putting our affections on things above. They'll be willing to confess their sins to a brother or sister, which a little further on, James talks about James 5.16. And they experience true holiness of a spirit-transformed life as they walk humbly with God and with one another. Romans chapter 12 talks about that, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So this morning, who will you be? Who will you be, a person of true faith? Or are you just going to keep putting on the show and pretending and trying to play the game behind the scenes? So as we close, I just want to make opportunity for people to come and be prayed for this morning. Terry, would you come up and anybody else that's on your team? And we just want to make sure that if you want to be prayed for this morning, for the strength to have, be a true follower of Jesus, to have a, a true faith, I encourage you to come up and receive some prayer. And I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer for the rest of us. So, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for James and all that he went through and even though he was late in coming to you, Lord, he is a powerful leader. We know that his life for you was not very, lived very long before he was executed by Herod. 
And we thank you for his faithfulness to you and that he got this message out to all of us before that ever happened. And God, we ask that you'd help us to take hold of your word today and these things and not let them go. And I just now ask you, bless your people. And God, I pray you'd help them to be people that choose to grow strong in their faith, to put their roots down deep and to not allow the enemy to rip them off and and to hold on to the things that you're speaking to them. And we just thank you for this time to be together and this wonderful fellowship together in Jesus' name. Amen.